Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, the free agency edition of the podcast. It's been a wild first, whatever, 28 hours as we record this on Tuesday afternoon after the free agency period began uh, Monday midday. Uh, happy to be joined this week by Paul Burmeister again. Uh, we're going to get into a back and forth on the, uh, the first day or so of free agency. And then we'll be joined by Drew Rosenhaus, the agent who's had so many big players early on in free agency, uh, including three big signings by the New England Patriots. And we'll also get into uh, the Patriots will be Patriot centric on their seven agreements, which sounds so crazy for the New England Patriots to jump out uh, and do seven agreements in the first 24 hours of the free agency period. So we'll talk about that also with Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston. But first, Paul, uh, great to be with you again. I mean, it's been uh, it's been kind of a loony first day plus, hasn't it? It's been it's been even more fun than usual, Peter. And I think because I mean, we always hear free agency frenzy and it's nice to have that alliteration. And, you know, most years it works because there's a lot of activity. I didn't expect it this year. And the fact that this news cycle has been even more enjoyable than usual, I think it's a classic undersell and over-deliver kind of thing. It has been fun because I didn't see it coming uh, because of the, the lack of cap space and things that you pointed out in your article. So I guess uh, what are the lessons you're taking away from the fact that we have had a frenzy when it wasn't really expected? That's that is what I've been thinking about. I think part of this is, and I asked Drew Rosenhaus this exact question: Why, when there's one third the amount of cap space this year versus last year, why would there be so much activity? And and to to tell people exactly how much activity there's been last year in the 2020 first 24 hours of the free agency uh, tampering period, uh, there were 30 agreements made between players and teams actually to change teams. I don't usually count the contracts when a guy returns to his own team. I, I only count them when they change teams. But so last year, in the first day, 30 players changed teams in free agency. And I expected there to be less and maybe much less in 2021. But there were 35 players that changed teams, you know, on the first day of free agency. And the last one, I love the last one. It was Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's going <laughs> to his 10th NFL franchise now as he is signed to ostensibly be the starting quarterback in Washington. But, I, you know, you ask why, and, and I think we all wonder why. And I've got a simple answer, and I've got a complex answer. The simple answer is just what Drew Rosenhaus told me when we recorded our conversation earlier. And he said, hey, look, teams are competitive. And with the New England Patriots, they don't like being seven and nine. They don't like being an afterthought. They don't like being lousy. And so if Bill Belichick has, I think, you know, depending on which, uh, which service you believe or whatever, they had about $40 million of cap room coming into free agency. And Bill was determined to rebuild 
the worst area of his roster, which was offensive skill players. They get the two best tight ends in the class in Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, and then they get two good slash serviceable wide receivers in Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. So they've got four people who are going to walk in in 2021 to training. Uh, there are four people who are going to walk in, and they're going to be better with all four of those players than anybody on that roster right now. But I also think that there's something else, Paul, and it's something that's a little bit mental, okay, because I think when we look at things like the free agency signing period, you know, it's almost like this is the first time all season, you know, since basically last August, this is the first time that teams have really had an opportunity to improve themselves. And this year, there, are, there is a better crop of players than there normally would be because so many teams let players go in moves to get under the salary cap. So when you look at it that way, you kind of say to yourself, hey, you know, there is not only a, uh, a thing about the, the few teams that actually have money might go out and take advantage of the teams that don't have money this year. But I also think it's something else. It's that teams uh, are, are really sort of look at this as the first opportunity to improve themselves and the pool of players is so much better than it would be in a normal year because there were so many more and kind of pretty good players made available by pre, uh, you know, getting down to the cap by by pre-cap cuts. Yeah, I know you're going to dive in pretty heavy with the Patriots. You mentioned that a little bit, but when you talk about Bill Belichick and the Patriots and this whole thing and how they behave, Peter, kind of so much different than, than what we're used to in the free agency. I, I have a lot of respect for what Bill Belichick is doing, not because he's playing holes, that's nice, but we give him so much credit during the season for his ability, whether it's his offense or defense, to adapt and be different one right. week as compared to the one before, what they might do the next week. And that's what he's doing right now. He's taking a cut against the grain because of that seven and nine and doing something much different than he has uh, and showing another ability to change and look at things differently than he has in his history. Uh, it's just one of the reasons in the last 24 hours have been fun because you have this giant name in the NFL who's been set on sitting out free agency doing a complete 180 based off of his evaluation of the roster. Well, see... You know, Paul, some, one of the reasons why I think Bill Belichick uh, did what he has done this week is because he has done such a poor job. He doesn't do he doesn't do many things poorly in football, but his uh, drafting record, his free agent record, uh, his signing record of wide receivers and tight ends in recent years has been awful. And so he had the opportunity now with cap money to fix that. And he chose to do it. And he chose to basically admit, you know, Bill Belichick, the personal, the personnel guy has done a lousy job and Bill Belichick. Now the cap guy, I mean, it, it was, it's interesting. You'll hear this later in the podcast, Drew Rosenhaus talking about dealing directly with Bill Belichick because now obviously Nick Casario is gone. He's in Houston. And so for a long time, agents uh, at times like this would talk first to Scott Pioli, the right-hand personnel guy, and then to Nick Casario after Pioli left in 2009. Those have been the two guys that have been sort of the front door, uh, manning the front door for the agents with the Patriots. They're gone and uh, uh, Rosenhaus told me that it was pretty much all Belichick. I think there's one other thing to think about with this, uh, Paul, and that is that, look, in, in Bill Belichick's first full year, his first full offseason with the Patriots, 2001, remember he had a, a shorter offseason in 2000 because he didn't become coach of the Jets until a little bit later 
because of the legal thing when and the trade from the, the New York Jets. But when he had the opportunity to take his first big whack at this roster after a 5-11 and 11 season in 2000, he and Scott Pioli, who had been a pro personnel guy, he and Scott Pioli basically went after a lot of the low-cost free agents. Otis Smith, Mike Vrabel. And, you know, there were a lot of guys in that, in that year, in 2001, they signed 23 guys. And I, I texted Scott Pioli today um, and I asked him about it. And he goes, well, yeah, we had an active early free agency period in 2001, 23 guys. But the difference is the, the uh, aggregate of signing bonuses was $2.5 million for those 23 guys. And he said, now, you know, they all are dwarfing that. But that was a time when Belichick basically put in all these contracts, all these major incentive clauses. And that is how they signed so many players. All these players who were betting on themselves came to New England. Some of them, some of them it worked out for. I mean, Mike Vrabel and Otis Smith were big players uh, on that first Super Bowl team in 2001 and others. But I think that everybody should not just assume, oh, they, this is totally uncharacteristic of Belichick. It's uncharacteristic the volume of work that he's done in free agency. But he has used free agency before. Peter, as I'm, as I'm listening to you and we're kind of talking about these stories from 20 years ago and what they've done in the last 24 hours, I, I can't get the thought out of my mind and wondering what the conversation must have been like and how it went. What was the tone between Drew Rosenhaus and Bill Belichick? Two, two names that we know very well. We know what they're both about. They seem very different. How, how do you think those personalities came together and, and worked on that kind of call? Business-like because if you know Rosenhaus, and I've talked to him about this a lot, so he's got four people in his agency, including himself, who are negotiating contracts at the start of free agency. But when you call Rosenhaus sports representation, they want to talk to Drew. So even though he, uh, you know, obviously, uh, John U. Smith was probably the first big domino to fall in free agency. Remember, although he also had Shaq Barrett, uh, Shaq Barrett, uh, he could talk to the uh, the Buccaneers about him because he had been a Buccaneer. So you didn't have to wait till noon on Monday to the start of the tampering period to do that. And so right now, uh, he, early on, you know, his, you know, call it what you want it. But if John U. Smith is going to be maybe his highest priced guy, you know, he's got to pay attention to John U. Smith. So he's taking the John U. Smith calls and then other guys in the agency are taking those. But a lot of guys, when you call and you want to talk to, talk to Drew Rosenhaus, that's why I don't think, and I'm sure Belichick loved this. And he loved it because he's not a schmoozer. You know, right. he just, you know, let's get the job done. Let's get business done. But I think it was pretty much a, a business conversation um, to get not only Janu Smith, but uh, Devin Godshaw, the uh, uh, defensive tackle that they signed from Miami, and also Jalen Mills, who was kind of a surprise signing from the Philadelphia Eagles. So you, you have the, the uh, Patriots and Belichick taking care of business, I think, especially on offense, pair of wide receivers, pair of tight ends, like you talked about. Elsewhere around the AFC, I, I see a younger quarterback in Joe Burrow, an unfortunate injury last year, but love the way he played before he got injured. I know the Bengals have some money to spend. I know they have some issues on the offensive line. Why am I watching the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Ravens make noise on the O-line? when Joe Burrow might have his hand raised, like, um, how about me over here? Yeah, I, look, this is just my total gut feeling, but I I would bet if you gave Joe Burrow sodium pentothal right now, that he'd be a, he'd be a disappointed guy. And again, we as we record this, uh, just prior to 3 p.m. on Tuesday Eastern time, I mean, could they get in the market for uh, other guys on the offensive line? Of course they could. But I'll tell you 
the one signing decision that if I were Joe Burrow, that would really upset me. And that is this, you know, if, if, look, if, if you are Joe Tooney and you have an opportunity to sign and be on the Super Bowl champions, the Kansas city chiefs, you know, blocking for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, probably most guards are going to want to do that. And for 15 million on average, I mean, that's an absolute total no-brainer. But Kevin Zeitler, you know, the, the, the guard uh, who formerly, who started his career in Cincinnati, the Bengals loved him. <clears throat> he went in free agency to Cleveland. And the last two years, he played for the Giants. So now he is a cap casualty. And so he obviously can sign anywhere. And so what happens? There's no question that the Bengals were involved. Seattle was also involved. But he signed a contract <clears throat> with uh, the Baltimore Ravens for, as it turns out, half of what Joe Tooney got. And believe me, Kevin Zeitler is not half of the player that Joe Tooney is. He's 86% the player, or maybe more, <laughs> that Joe Tooney is. And I have to think, that Joe Burrow is sitting there saying, are you kidding me? Yeah. You mean we couldn't find a way to get Zeitler back here and to radically improve a part of our line? So look, this is, I've not talked to uh, Joe Burrow. I don't really know Joe Burrow. So I, this doesn't come from him, but I have to believe that right now he's looking at this saying, this is not, this is not making me happy. You could probably make him feel good if you went after uh, Kenny Galladay. Do you think that the Bengals, uh, they have the money. Do you think they have the stomach to go after a high-priced wideout like that to help their young quarterback come along? My feeling is they're probably pretty mono-focused uh, now after signing a pass rusher to replace Carl Lawson. They signed Hendrickson from uh, New Orleans. That they're going to be very focused on the offensive line, Paul, I, I'd be surprised if they spent huge elsewhere. Um, and I'm not really sure that that's needed elsewhere, <laughs> you know, needed on the offense, on the uh, at wide receiver, but I definitely think they need help on the offensive line. Looking at the article you wrote on Monday, one of your little headlines, as we got ready for whatever was going to happen in free agency, you said normally money spent on the top end of free agency is wasteful. That brings us to the jets. A lot of draft picks, a lot of money to spend. What do you think, or how would you label their moves to get Corey Davis and also Carl Lawson? I think Carl Lawson, even though he's not a tremendous sack producer, I've always thought he was an underrated and underappreciated player. And he's a good all-around uh, edge guy. I think he makes the Jets better. He doesn't give them um, maybe the, the – uh, you know, the great edge presence of a Bosa, either Bosa, but I think he makes them better at a position that they desperately need help. Um, and then, you know, I think Corey Davis has been getting better. Um, he, he was a very inauspicious debut uh, in his first season. He played four years now in Tennessee, but last year he became a really trusted receiver uh, for Ryan Tannehill in uh, Arthur Smith's offense. So I think, I think that is definitely a plus. Um, the good thing, in my opinion, is that, you know, look, in the last few years, uh, before the last two years, but you know, the Jets have radically overpaid uh, for guys like C.J. Mosley and Tremaine Johnson and have been sorely, sorely disappointed. Now, um, you know, C.J. Mosley opted out last year played only 121 snaps uh, his first year in 2019 with the Jets. So maybe he comes back and is great. You don't know. But I mean, basically he hasn't played football for two years. He's an older player now. So I, I'm dubious whether he's going to do anything like, uh, you know, prove the Jets right uh, for the $85 million contract they, they spent to acquire him. Bring us to Ryan Fitzpatrick going to, to Washington for $10 million in that one year, Peter. And 
to me, one of the most fun parts about this time of the season where we're thinking so much about the teams and there aren't the games every weekend to have as, as part of that cycle, you get to be creative with how you want to interpret each, each pieces of information that come through. So Ryan Fitzpatrick to Washington for $10 million as a starter, as a trusted backup to Heineke, as a backup to a pick that might come in at 19. What's your initial read? My initial read is that it makes a lot of sense for a kind of a veteran coaching staff that does not see a path this year to get its no doubt quarterback of the future. So Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in uh, and comes in and it's either his ninth or 10th team. He comes in and he essentially steadies uh, the ship for a year. And who knows, maybe, uh, maybe Tyler Heineke is going to be the kind of player who will explode unexpectedly on the scene. He certainly had a great playoff game for them when he was pushed into duty uh, playing Tampa Bay uh, in, the, uh, in January in the playoffs. Um, but I think it's most likely that Fitzpatrick will be the starter for most or all of the season. And then after that, um, Washington will look for its quarterback of the future. They'll look if if one of these guys falls to them this year, I'm sure if they really like him, they'd take him. But I just don't see uh one of these really good quarterbacks, one of the five, getting down into the 20s uh, to give Washington a chance. I think you're right there, and I think Washington ought to feel pretty good about uh, what they have in Heineke and Fitzpatrick as well, because. With Fitzpatrick and that $10 million, if he ends up being a starter, that's wonderful value for a starting quarterback for that kind of money. It's also not outlandish at all to pay $10 million to have a trusted, experienced backup. And I'd tell you what, Peter, I I was there at that game in person to watch Washington against against Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. He was was really encouraging, courageous, not only as a runner, he had some highlight plays there, but a courageous passer of the ball down the field. He cut it loose and put it in some tight areas downfield. Not the kind of play you'd expect from somebody with a lack of experience and like maybe a little bit worried. Do do I belong out here? I just want to have some good numbers. I don't want to screw it up. He played with a lot of confidence from start to end. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ended up being the guy. I wouldn't be surprised, but you know, it's going to be a weird off season. Okay, Paul, I think that it's unlikely that there will be much of an off-season program. So what I'm I'm told is that football people on teams in the NFL are hopeful, hopeful of being able to get together in June for uh, maybe two weeks of workouts. Okay, if that happens then what it allows teams to do is instead of force feeding the playbook to guys, you know, uh, in person, when you see them at training camp, it's going to give you more of an opportunity to deal with players. And instead of having Zoom playbook sessions only in the offseason, which is all they were able to do last year, Now you'll be able to get guys in person to work with them. And quite honestly, that's the only place that a guy like Heineke is going to be able to impress people well enough to really have an opportunity to win that job. And then three preseason games. That is what is being bandied about right now as the NFL kind of careens toward a 17-game regular season for the 32 teams one less preseason game, but listen, Heineke will get a lot of playing time in those three preseason games. If indeed that's what it is. And if that happens, who knows, he'll have a chance to win the job. I think he also has the advantage to the familiarity with offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, who they spend time together in Carolina. So he's not coming in to impress somebody who doesn't know him. Uh, This is a coach who knew him before he played well in that playoff game was right there with him for that. So 
maybe he has a couple of steps uh, out in front to get rolling. Yeah, and I think I think look for for Washington, um, and look there there are other teams right now that really are going to need as much time as possible. I you know you talk about quarterbacks, Tua Tagovailoa needs time with his team in this offseason. Um, I'm assuming that Miami and Houston are not going to uh, exchange. Tua and Watson and and Miami throwing half their team to Houston to try to make that happen. But uh, guys like Tua Tagovailoa face an incredibly important offseason. And so it would be great for him if they could get some time together. Absolutely. He'll be facing the Patriots a couple times a year. And it's it's, uh, nice to spend time with you, Peter, on a little bit of time away from the Patriots, as I know. The rest of your podcast here is going to be devoted to how active they've been here to start this week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Paul, it's been great. Thanks so much for joining me this week. And uh, as we say goodbye to Paul Burmeister, we're going to say hello to Drew Rosenhaus. Let's go to my conversation with Rosenhaus about how he made all this happen this week with the New England Patriots. Back on the podcast, uh, very, very newsy week, obviously, with the start of free agency uh, in the National Football League. And at the center of the storm this week was Drew Rosenhaus, uh, the agent for so many NFL players. And just uh, to to preface uh, this chat with Drew, what was so interesting is that I went into this free agent signing period with a totally uh, conservative view of how I thought it would go because teams had one-third the amount of cap space compared to last year. Last year, there were 30 deals struck um, on the first day of this so-called legal tampering period. Uh, And I thought that there would be far fewer. There are actually more. So let's bring in Drew Rosenhaus. And Drew, you, you said that there would be a lot of deals done. You said that teams would get imaginative. What did you know that most people didn't Sunday, Monday of this week? I just, uh, it's just experience, Peter. This uh, our third, my 33rd year dealing with free agency in some form or fashion. And I understand how competitive teams are. And clubs want to win. And when they see good football players, they're going to find a way to get them. And if it means doing voidable years, if it means finding ways to get deals done with incentives that don't count against the cap. If it means restructuring their own players' contracts, Tampa Bay is a great example. They, they found a way to bring back our client Shaq Barrett. A big part of that was, was extending Tom Brady's deal. Uh, they found a way to bring back our client Rob Gronkowski. And we did some voidable deals for Rob. Rob's basically a one-year deal, but we did some voidable deals there, voidable years there, so they could spread out his uh, contract over a period of four years instead of one. 
I take my hat off to teams like Tampa uh, that didn't have a tremendous amount of cap room and were creative. And then the other teams like New England, for example, we were able to get a lot of work done. We got deals done for John U. Smith, for Trent Brown, uh, is an upcoming trade this week. Uh, we were able to get deals done for Devon Godchow, uh, Jalen Mills. And the Patriots had cap room, and they were aggressive, and they took advantage of that. It, uh, really, that that <laughs> their wealth of uh, of cap room, they they really took advantage of that. Drew, you know Bill Belichick very very well. What do you think led to the Patriots being so active this week? Um, they had the money out there, and they were hungry. I mean, I just got the sense that that Coach Belichick was hungry. Um, yeah, I got the feeling that uh, last year didn't sit very well with them. Um, I got the feeling they uh, weren't content missing the playoffs, and I got the sense that they were going to do a lot to improve their football team. And they were able to do things that other teams couldn't do. And one thing about Belichick, I, I, I mean, besides being a great coach, he's also – uh, I think an outstanding talent evaluator and a great NFL executive. So I think it's scary to give a, a, a outstanding coach like that tons of cap room that most teams don't have. And I think the Patriots are going to be a very dangerous team this year. But he's had cap room before and he's never done. <laughs> he, he's never done what he did this week. I mean, he has signed players before, but usually after the initial storm passes, do you think it was all because they had a lousy year last year? I believe so. Uh, and again, because they had an advantage this year that most teams didn't have. They had the room. They have a great owner in Robert Kraft. He's, a, he's got the cash. Um, they've always been a team that's been able to get deals done uh, and been aggressive when they've wanted to be. And they just, uh, I, you know, from my standpoint, they took advantage of uh, an edge that they had. I think we all agree that Belichick is very good at taking advantage of opportunities, and he did this year. He knew there were a lot of teams that didn't have cap room and wouldn't have the ability to, to go out and add great football players, and, and he did the exact opposite. He went and did that. He went and improved his football team by leaps and bounds. I think everyone, everybody would agree this roster is incredibly improved from the one that they ended the season with. There, there's no question about it, especially at the skilled positions. Um, I, I mean, I think at the end of 2019, Tom Brady had a hard time winning with the skill position players that were lining up there. And, and last year, Cam Newton saw that too. And now the two best tight ends in the market, two good wide receivers, you know, out of this. I'm just curious in the last couple of days, as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, in the last couple of days, um, what was Bill Belichick like uh, when you dealt with him? Did you deal with him directly or were you dealing with personnel people? Well, I, I just started dealing with him yesterday at, uh, at noon. And uh, those are the rules. You can't talk to the teams about free agents. Um, but he did get permission from the Raiders to talk to me about Trent Brown. So we were able to talk about that. But we really didn't start talking about John U. Smith or Devon Godchow or Jalen Mills until yesterday afternoon. We got the call at uh, shortly after 12 o'clock and we went to work. Um, but I, I do deal directly with Coach Belichick. And, uh, and I always have. And uh, he's had some great guys working with him over the decades that I've dealt with, like Scott Pioli and Nick Casario, and uh, Mike Lombardi, among many others. Uh, but in this particular round of negotiations, I dealt with Coach Belichick, and it's an advantage, I think, uh, for me that I've dealt with him since he was – I've been negotiating contracts with him since he was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, and we were working on deals then. So we uh, were able to uh, – you know, we're able, we know each other well, and – uh, really, it's uh, it's been productive. I think I've signed more clients with the Patriots over the years than any other agent has. Tell me what he's like to deal with. Excellent. Um, 
kind of cuts to the chase. Uh, you know, he, uh, you, you're obviously dealing with a, a future Hall of Famer and, and probably the greatest coach in the history of the NFL. So you have a lot of reverence for him, but he certainly uh, is respectful. And I, I think he's a misunderstood personality. Um, anybody that has gotten to know him as well as I have, uh, I think would agree with me that he can be very engaging and, and very likable. Um, so my dealings with him are always very positive. Uh, I like dealing with decision makers. You know, a lot of the teams you deal with um, team negotiators and they're not the decision makers. And that's tough because you can't make the deal with them. What I really like about dealing with Bill Belichick above everything else is the fact that he is the decision maker uh, from my estimation. And I like that. I like the ability. If you agree with him, you get a deal done. You don't have to go back to another person. And that's great. Let's talk about the Johnu Smith deal. Uh, was it your idea when you went to him with the four-year proposal? Uh, was there a lot of give and take on that? Or did you present the structure and then begin to discuss it with Bill? A lot, lot of give and take, a lot of back and forth, a lot of negotiations. Um, you know, you're, you're always in store for a battle when you're dealing with Coach Belichick. And uh, he, he's going to uh, – he's, he's a very outstanding negotiator, and, and certainly you're going to go back and forth quite a bit. Uh, before you can get him to uh, agree to a deal, um, even for a coveted player like John U, which had multiple teams interested in him. And, uh, you know, you're always very fortunate as an agent when you have free agency begin and there's three or four teams that really want your clients. The, the toughest negotiations are really the ones where you're dealing with one team for your player, and uh, that gives them a lot of leverage, quite frankly. When you have more than one team, then you've got the leverage. Describe what it was early on in that first hour or so. What was it like for you? Did you first engage with the Patriots on Janu, and how did you work the other teams in there as it was going on? Yeah, so um, obviously I've been spending a lot of the, the day working on behalf of a lot of our clients who were extension candidates. Uh, so we could talk to Tampa for Shaq Barrett. We could talk to Green Bay for Aaron Jones. We could talk to Tampa about Rob Gronkowski. So a lot and, of to, and time, to make it clear, to make it clear, you could do that before 12 o'clock because sure. those players – are, are, you know, are, are, are belong to those teams at that time. That's absolutely correct. Right. The second part of the answer is once uh, noon began, uh, it was really hectic. Our, our phone was ringing off the hook, uh, not just for John U, but for a lot of the other uh, players that we had uh, in free agency and continue to have right now. And it's really, uh, it's wild. It's a wild scene. I've got my brother Jason in here, two of my other partners, Robert Bailey and Ryan Matha. And if I can't get to a team, I have them call them and and uh, and and line them up for me. And uh, really, it's just it's very active early on. We have a lot of great clients, and uh, I can't remember the last time I didn't have the start of free agency where it wasn't hectic. And, and this year was no different, thankfully. You know, I think there were a lot of people out there that were predicting a lot of gloom and doom, and it hasn't it hasn't come out that way. I I don't notice much of a difference so far in this free agent period. Uh, we're, we're a little over 24 hours during the negotiating period. It feels the same to me as it did last year, the year before, the year before that. Maybe that changes, maybe it doesn't. But, uh, you know, I'm certainly excited uh, with the way things have been going so far in the NFL. Seems to be a quick pace, solid deals around the league, and uh, I'm, I'm not seeing a whole lot of uh, salary cap uh, withdrawal so far. You told me over the weekend, this is a year when we as agents have to be brutally honest with our clients. Yet, I sense that most of your clients, especially that you signed on Tuesday or on Monday of this week, or you made agreements with on Monday, 
really didn't have to look at sort of a lesser value. They got sort of traditional NFL free agency value. Is that right? That is right, Peter. And the tough conversations will be coming today and tomorrow and, and the days after that when um, that first wave uh, is still ongoing. But when that first wave ends, you're going to have to be able to evaluate for your clients. Is now the optimal time to get a deal done? Do we benefit by waiting? Uh, I don't think anybody agrees in free agency that it behooves you once the wave is done to wait. Um, I, I just haven't seen that work out for very many guys unless you're an elite player like a Jadavian Clowney who, you know, last couple of years has taken his time and signing. But most guys aren't in that position. So I will be aggressive in talking to our clients to encourage them to make tough decisions, to take the very best deals that we can, even, even if it's not exactly what we projected or what we think is uh, fair for them. I want to ask you one other thing about John U. Smith. He has developed into uh, one of the best tight ends in football, and yet coming into this signing period, there are a lot of football people who like who liked him a lot, but was there any question in your mind that he was going to get in the 11, 12, 13 million dollar range? Did you have some doubts about where he'd end up? I was very excited about John New, very excited about Shaq, very excited about Aaron Jones, um, very excited about the guys that we signed yesterday because I knew that those were players that uh, were coveted. So with John New, I really was optimistic. Uh, I've been very fortunate to work with some great tight ends over my career, like Gronkowski and Greg Olson and Jeremy Shockey and Benjamin Watson and and so many other great ones over the years that uh, David Njoku is, Njoku is one of our clients who's a terrific young tight end in the NFL. Um, tight end is a bit of a, of a specialty for me. Um, over the last couple of decades, have negotiated some of the bigger deals there. And so I had a feeling that we, we certainly had a special one in John U. Drew, let's end with this. Um, what's the moral of the story in free agency in 2021? So far, so good. Uh, so far, what what salary cap uh, doldrums? So far, a lot of action, um, impressive deals across the board. Uh, I feel like there's a ton of players out there, obviously, because of all the players that got released. It's a deep group, but it's good to see a lot of guys signing and teams spending money, and I'm confident that will continue. Drew Rosenhaus, thanks so much for summing up. Uh what's been a fairly insane first day and a half of free agency. My pleasure. Always great to be with you, Peter. Take care. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. And now my conversation with Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston. Back on the podcast, so happy to be joined by Tom Curran, 
the veteran scribe, and now the veteran do-it-all media guy for NBC Sports Boston. Tom, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, my friend. How you been? Everything is going well. It's been a, a fun first day and a half, I would say, of free agency or whatever you call this. Uh, it doesn't seem anymore like, you know, there's this tampering period. It just seems like free agency opens at noon on Monday. And I know mm -hmm. the Patriots are usually all buttoned up at this time of year. And it was so funny to see these announcements just really celebrated by seemingly by the Patriots as well as by agents like Drew Rosenhaus. Yeah, and the Patriots, Peter, are always very respectful. You know, part of the agreement with this legal tampering period that nobody in the league really respects is that no agreements are to be entered into, oral or otherwise. You're not supposed to announce anything. All of it has to wait until the league year begins at the risk of tampering charges being leveled at a team. Now, the Patriots are one team, even when they signed Stephon Gilmore in 2017, they didn't say a peep about it until the morning of free agency. And that's generally been the way they do it. Why do they do that? Because as Belichick said during the Mona Lisa veto press conference, we stay as far away from the line as we can because they know that the league has a tendency to go up their posterior with a flashlight. So what's the difference this year? To me, there's one thing. Seven and nine last year, 2019 and 2020, taking all manner of slings and arrows from nitwits like me and venerable reporters like you. And Belichick said, you know what? The first chance I get, I don't care. I'm just going to unload with every single guy they say that I'm incapable of getting. So I think that is probably, likely, a reason that we have so much Patriots news before free agency even opens. It was very interesting talking to Rosenhaus, and, and uh, obviously I recorded him just before I'm re recording you uh, here on Tuesday afternoon. But he is used to – look, he's dealt with Bill on so many things over the years. He said mm -hmm. even going back to Cleveland when he was a coach in Cleveland. But he said unlike many years when there's either a Scott Pioli – or a Nick Casario, he said most of it this year was one-on-one -on -one with Bill Belichick. Mm. And he really was heavily involved. And I said, why? And he goes, seven and nine, you know, just basically last year really, really bugged him. And do you get that sense? hundred percent. Yeah. It's, I was talking to Bill Polian about this a little bit last night. And he said, you know, that was the Excedrin headache of all time. It's not something that Bill who's driven to win is going to take in any way lying down. And it had to make him sick to his stomach, is what Polian said. And, and certainly that that plays into it, as does, I think, again, he was going to do this regardless of what happened in Tampa Bay in the first week of February. And he was probably going to do this regardless of what, you know, local or national media members had to say. But I think those probably serve as a spur as well to him, as does Peter. I wonder if you agree with this or not. He's almost 69 years old. How much his age enters into this? Because this is a departure from the quote-unquote value purchases the Patriots have been renowned for making. And I think that people like will say, that's not the Patriots' way. It actually kind of is. Because the Patriots' way is to react to the set of circumstances yeah. that are confronting you. And that is, everybody else has their pockets turned inside out, has no money. There's good players out there that other teams can't sign. If we have to overpay to improve our very shaky roster, we're going to do it. That's how we operate. We change the way we need to to make the team better. You know, there are a couple of things that have really occurred to me in the last 24 hours. One is that, you know, I'll never forget sitting with Tom Brady after the Tennessee playoff game at the end of the 19 season. And he was just, I, I mean, just, he was despondent mm -hmm. and he wasn't just despondent because they lost the game. He was despondent because he just didn't think, and look, there's nothing that he said. Okay. It's just, you just get a sense. He just didn't think they had much of a chance. Resigned. And, and one of the, one of the reasons is, and Cam Newton saw this last year. And again, I, I we don't know yet whether Cam Newton is absolutely finished. Obviously, the Patriots don't think he's absolutely finished. 
but we don't know that yet. But it'd be hard for any quarterback to succeed. You know, throwing to a couple of tight ends that uh, just never, ever got to first base, you know, in the New England offense. Throwing really to Jacoby Myers and to and Keel Harry and and really, you know, as pro football focus, uh, you know, put down in numbers, this was the worst group of skill position players in the NFL. So I think in 2020 and really at the end of 2019 too. But what I really sense that this is, and you said it exactly, this is not the light bulb going off in Bill Belichick's head. He's always used every way Mm -hmm. to get his team uh, on the right track. So although we're all a little surprised, maybe we shouldn't be. Yeah, I think, and the <clears throat> the air that you got after the playoff game was the air that we really got all season long. It was an air of resignation. Yeah, even when the team was eight and zero. What do you think we're going to look like in the playoffs? Was basically what his stance was. They finish up four and four at the end of the regular season, four and five down the stretch. And Tom did that with Julian Edelman having a one hundred catch, eleven hundred yard season. Cam didn't even have that. Yeah. So you know, Bill. And I wrote about this and, you know, bygones be bygones. It's been a disastrous free agency for him, 17, 18, 19, and 20. His drafts have really been poor since about 2016, with exceptions like Malcolm Mitchell and Joe Tooney. Um, but at the top, they've been a disaster. And he reaped what he sowed. Any other coach, Peter, would not have gone 7-9 and nine with this roster. They would have been lucky to go 4-12. and 12. I agree with you totally. So, you know, he can't look at it. And I think that, you know, folks that I speak to down there believe that Bill looked at it and had an understanding and an appreciation for it as well. Look, this isn't just a confluence of circumstances. These guys really aren't that good. These two third round picks that we spent on tight ends last year, they're not good either. We got to do something about this. We don't have these budding stars about to pop up. We're doing something about it and we're doing it now. So, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting to watch. And, and again, I, I find it there's so many people who are saying, well, the Patriots are being celebrated for doing things the Patriots don't do. And all these teams that win free agency, you look back through the years of the teams that spend a lot and they don't end up winning anything at the end. Well, those teams were coached by Adam Gase or Matt Nagy or, you know, you name it, guys who were starting out. Even with Hunter Henry, John U. Smith, Nelson Aguilar, um, Kendrick Bourne, Judon, Gadshaw, all of these guys are new and they're all going to be learning in their first year. But you don't think that Josh, after 20 years of doing this at the level he is, is not going to be able to craft stuff that they get like that? He will. Josh McDaniels, yeah. The, there's there's two, there's a there's an A and a B to the other point that really has hit me in the head, you know, in the last day or so. And that is that you know, and you had this sort of celebrated thing during the year where basically you questioned Belichick about his drafts and he had a bizarre reaction about how, well, you know, we've been pretty successful here. Well, that 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 doesn't have anything to do with it. The drafts still stink. And and, you know, really what is so interesting, I think, right now is that Bill essentially is is putting it out there for all to see. OK. I have not put a good enough team on the field to be competitive in a rapidly, uh, you know, increasing in skill division, you know, rapidly improving division. So I guess I kind of look at this and say, it'd be one thing for Bill to sit there and say, oh, don't worry. You know, Harry's going to be okay. These two tight ends, they're going to be fine. You just wait and see. Instead of saying that, he said, hey, Two of the top five tight ends in football right now, today, are available in free agency. I'm going to gorge on them. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's kind of how I've looked at it. You know, even as great as he is with six Super Bowls, he's not too proud to say, okay, you know, I have not built a good team offensively, mm-hmm. and so now I'm going to be George Steinbrenner, and I'm going to buy one. Yeah, and it's wild. I mean – Speaking candidly, and we all understand, you know, it's not disrespectful to question a guy. It's our friggin' job. So, yeah, yeah. you know, 
I don't think that absolves him from ignoring the position. Look at you with your vitamin C. Good for you. Thank you. Um, I don't think that absolves him of having George Kittle on a platter for him playing for Iowa and Kirk Ferentz and not step into the plate on that. When we had, you know, my buddy Phil Perry, right? Ideal Patriot. Patriots have to get Kittle. He had sits until the fifth round. They don't do, do anything at tight end except for Ryan Izzo, A.J. Derby, and Lee Smith over the past decade until they get Asi, Asi, and Keen, neither of whom are probably going to make a dent. Doesn't absolve all those mistakes, nor does Tom Brady's fairly modest contract relative to the rest of the quarterbacks have them pennied into some ridiculous cap space hell either that I think a lot of people cite. But you're right. Bygones be bygones. I mean, I've had a great time covering this team. You've had a great time covering this team. I wouldn't have had the job that I've had had I not been recommended by you a long time ago to NBC. And the only reason you were reading my crap was because I was covering the Patriots. So even though he's been a disaster personnel-wise, he's still the smartest guy in the league. And let's get after it now. Sorry, I just scared Bo. Uh, <laughs> let's get after it and have an enjoyable season because it shouldn't end this way for – Bill Belichick as no. he enters his seventh decade. Here's the interesting thing about Bill. You point out, rightfully so, that you know he's in, in you know at age 69. I think no matter how much longer he does it, for some reason, and again, who knows? I don't know. You don't know how much longer deep down he thinks that he's really going to do it, but. Chris Sims told me this a couple of years ago about Bill when I talked to him about, said, how, how much longer for Bill? What, what do you think? And he goes, I mean, normally you'd say for a guy in his 60s, well, you know, won't be very much longer. But he said the thing with Bill is that he is the exact same person on May 12th as he is on October 12th. Mm -hmm. You know, like on a game day in October, it's the same as when he's just sitting around in in May trying to figure out what we're putting in the uh, in the playbook this year. He said he never, ever is really – now he'll get upset, but he'll get upset in season and out of season. And and so his point was it doesn't give him agita. This job does not drive him nuts. And I'm reminded at the end of the Seattle Super Bowl when he's looking across the uh, – the 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 uh, field at the Seattle sideline with cl the clock going down less than a minute, 50 seconds to go, 40 seconds, and everybody's saying, why are you not calling the timeout? He was fine at letting the decision be made by Seattle. It turned out to be brilliant. Now, you know, if it didn't turn out to be brilliant and they score a touchdown and get the ball back with 17 seconds to go, all of a sudden it's not too brilliant. But – Hey, to the victor go the spoils. And so I just look at Belichick and say, man, I, I don't know if it's only going to be three more years. Maybe it'll be more than that. Yeah, I mean, as we get older, and you're older than me, but as I get older, I think that we all start to experience in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, what am I going to do for the next however many years? What am I going to yeah. do? What, what's it all about? What am I here for? <clears throat> I think Bill has understood from the time he was 25. I'm here for this. This is this is why I'm here. Yeah. So why would I? Why do I want to go? You know, I can do a foundation, the Bill Belichick Foundation, and raise money for lacrosse and for different programs. I can still coach the team. Why do I want to stop teaching tight ends how to properly seal somebody or crack or whatever when I can still do it at 75? To me, what's wild is the energy level and the work ethic for a guy to get up at the hours he does to be on the phone for the amount of time he does, to have that skeleton crew of a staff that he does. You know, Casario goes elsewhere. Monty Austin Fort goes elsewhere. Dave Ziegler is there. But as we've seen and heard over the years, Peter, it's all Bill. It's all Bill. Nick is there and he's doing contracts. But in the end, when a decision comes down, it's going to be made by Bill. And Nick or Monty, or to some degrees, I think Scott, probably lesser degree, they're carrying out what they believe to be Bill's wishes. So it's it's a very small staff all predicated off of one guy. You'll never see anything like this. Yeah. The whole franchise, but just leading off of this one little trickle. It's like the frigging Grand Canyon coming out of the Colorado River. I mean, just one little trickle of a guy 
who has created this. It's wild. It's so interesting. You talk about the skeleton staff. I forget. It's either Jacksonville or one of the new staffs this year, uh, including quality control and everything, has 30 coaches. You know what I mean? You know, and, and the Patriots probably have half that many. And that's just that's just the way he likes I mean, they it. They had Joe Judge, Peter, coaching wide receivers and special teams coordinator in his final year here. And that was stuff that we would sit here and go, well, the wide receivers suck. And Nikhil Harry's in his first year, and they have a special teams coach part-timing as the wide receivers coach. Yeah. That was the stuff that drove us bananas on the beat about the attention paid to different things. But bygones be bygones. Let's have a good time. Um, three very quick things. Um, let's talk about the pragmatic view of what has happened. Um, how much do you think Cam Newton has left? I don't think he's. I don't think he has very much left. I don't think he's accurate. I don't think he makes decisions um, with an aggressive mindset, and I don't think he trusts himself. And I didn't think that the Patriots trusted him either. So I don't think he has very much left um, at all. I mean, he was good because he ran for 55 first downs and on 137 carries and about 500 yards. That's why he was good, not because he's going to get better throwing it. Do you believe that? with the 15th pick in the draft or wherever that there's a decent chance or a small chance that they take a quarterback. I believe it's going to be a small chance because so many good players are going to be driven down the board by the wideouts and pass catchers that are going to be drafted ahead of them. But then do you think like a Mac Jones or maybe even Trey Lance is there at 15? And if so, you think they would pass on him? Boy, I think that would be a uh, an apples-to-apples apples comparison in terms of, okay, who's better? Who do we have ranked higher on those stacks? You know, the fullback and linebacker and all these different stacks. And then they meld them, as you know, so that you have a stack of who's the best player in the draft down to the worst guy you got draftable. Who's above who? I think if Micah Parsons is sitting there at Caleb Farley, they say, we've got to go with the board. Mac Jones is 38th best. we got to go with the board. Um. And finally, is there anything – do you believe that the offense is going to materially change now? Because it seems to me when you take two tight ends that you are saying we are going to attack the intermediate portion of the field. And who knows? Maybe Aguilar gets some shots downfield, Kendrick Bourne. Uh, but I, I look at this now as – an intermediate offense mm -hmm. uh, that is going to be the king of tight ends. Yeah, the offense remains the same. The scheme changes. They're going to be much more, you know, two tight end um, personnel, obviously, with these two guys out there. But I think that the offense will remain systematically what it has been. But you're going to see much different things. And, and what I think is also interesting, Peter, you go from water bug types, Brandon Cooks, Julian Edelman, um, Danny Amendola, Chris Hogan, to much bigger guys. Myers is over six feet, obviously. Smith and Hunter are well over six feet. And um, Bourne and, and Aguilar are six feet. So much bigger catch radius for a much less accurate thrower. Tom Curran, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me, bud. Take care. My thanks to Paul Burmeister to Drew Rosenhaus and to Tom Curran for their discussion on the news-breaking week uh, that has been the start of NFL free agency. Now, before we go, I just want to take a minute to it, – it's crazy that when the guy who's thrown for more yards than anybody in NFL history, the second most touchdowns of anybody in NFL history, retires that I don't even mention him on the podcast. It's a little bit bizarre, and I apologize to Drew Brees, but, you know, if your retirement drops in the middle of free agency, these things happen. Um, but I wrote a lot about him in my column on Monday, Football Morning in America, um, I, I, and it's not just about him, the football player. I wrote a section about something that I saw in January 2010. You know, I know it's 11 years ago. It's It's incredible that it's that long ago that – the Saints won their Super Bowl, but he took a break in preparing for basically the biggest week of football, biggest month of football in his life, as it turns out. Um, 
to do something for the city of New Orleans that when I think of Drew Brees, it's the first thing I will ever, I will always think of. Because in this very important football week, he met with seven of the biggest entrepreneurs and moneymakers in the city of New Orleans to talk about, uh, here's what we can do for businesses that still have come back from Katrina. So I just urge you, if you can, go back and uh, you can find Football Morning in America on profootballtalk.com and also at NBCSports.com. I think you will like the story. Um, and you'll just like, uh, you know, I think to remember Drew Brees for everything, including uh, Drew Brees, the humanitarian, which I think he should be remembered for as well. But anyway, that's it for this week. Enjoy the nuttiness of free agency. And I'll have another Peter King podcast for you next week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.